Good morning. So our readings from Luke uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was just about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Good morning. <laughs> Greetings from uh, Bovres Church. That's where I serve. Uh, I don't know if you know the church close to Mercy Ships, if you've been there. It's um, Église de Réveil, a church that came out of uh, the revival, the third revival in Switzerland, which is really fascinating when you start studying the Christian history of Switzerland, actually. There's amazing things that God has done here. Um, so it's a wonderful church to be, but I'm very thankful uh, to be with you here and to be able to preach in English once. I am uh, usually speaking French, but I'm originally Dutch, as you can probably hear. Um, so that's another story. How does a Dutch guy end up in Switzerland serving in a French-speaking Pentecostal church, but I'm not going to tell you that today. Um, but I did grow up in Holland, and uh, the town that I grew up in in Holland is a very typical Dutch town. I don't know if you've visited Holland. It's, you know, every town center looks a bit the same. There's the Hema and the Blocker, you know, and all the different stores. And uh, everybody kind of knew each other in our town. And my parents, you know, they would usually when they would have visitors, they would usually uh, call them by their job. So it was very much like, you know, the carpenter is coming to visit or the gardener is coming to visit or, you know, the pastor is coming to visit. And, you know, pastor in Dutch is called domine, which means, you know, Lord in uh, Latin. But when the domine came, it was quite something in my parents' house. We knew it wasn't fun for us because the cupboard with the TV would close, you know. <laughs> and we could hear him come on his black bicycle in his black suit. And then he would stay with us and talk to us about, you know, the Lord. But it was quite something for us. But there was one person, when he came, we were even more interested. And this was uh, what we call uh, the carpet man. He was the guy who organized carpets and curtains in our town. So if you needed curtains, he was the guy to go to. And he had a Dutch name with a lot of you know, so I'm not gonna repeat his name, but let's call him John, okay? So John, <laughs> it's a bit easier. John would come over to our house 
and uh, you know, because we needed new carpet. And he had a very funny Dutch dialect. He spoke kind of dialect, and he was always smoking cigars. And he was uh, very politically incorrect, making lots of jokes, misogynist and racist jokes. And uh, my mom was very much uncomfortable with him. Uh, but my dad was very loyal to him because he knew him from childhood. So when we needed cur curtains, John would come. Now, John was a bit infamous in our town uh, because he had an alcohol problem. So stories of him kicking, getting kicked out of the bar of the pub on Saturday night, you know, were kind of commonplace. And um, he was a bit of a joke around the town, a bit sad, really. And the, the big joke was that his driving license was revoked because he was a drunk driver and his wife had to drive him around. And that was really, you know, you couldn't fall lower than that in our town. And eventually, even his wife couldn't stand it anymore. And she, um, one Sunday morning, when he came home from the pub drunk, she didn't open the door for him. So he stayed outside in his front yard, sleeping out his, you know, drunk uh, night. And he lived next to the church. So on 9.30 in the morning, people would come to church, and there John was sleeping in his front yard. And of course, everybody was talking about it. Now, John was a little bit what we call a little man. You know, he was a man we should not associate with. He was kind of the typical white male, you know, the kind of a guy who is offensive, unlikable. Uh, being friends with John was a bit, you shouldn't be friends with him and you shouldn't really visit him. So he was just a small man in our town and we shouldn't associate with him. And indeed, we never visited John. Now, the scripture we read today is also talking about a little man, a little man who is quite unpopular in his town, Jericho. And uh, there is something special about the Bible, actually, when it gives us these stories. They're quite relatable. You know, stories in the Bible are relatable. They're not really out there. We, we can kind of um, identify with this. There is in Jericho a famous person that's coming, and people line up along the street, and um, they want to see what's happening. And Zacchaeus, he also wants to see what's happening. Now, who is Zacchaeus? Well, there's a few things, actually, the Bible tells us who Zacchaeus is, a few details. And uh, usually when the Bible mentions details, it's important. The Bible doesn't usually give details just for the sake of giving an extra information. Usually, when there is a detail like this, we, um, we should read, we should uh, look at it. So, um, when you go to the next slide, first of all, Zacchaeus, he was small, small in stature, uh, physically small. The text uh, gives us this uh, Greek word, uh, elekia mikros, or micro. We have the word micro from that. So, he was really probably a small man, um, but this word, Elikia is also used uh, for age in the Bible. So when it talks about Jesus grew in stature, it can also talk about age. So it is possible that Zacchaeus wasn't necessarily small, but that he was young, that he was a young person. Um, but the short interpretation comes because he couldn't look, see Jesus because of the crowd. So we kind of assume that Zacchaeus was small because he couldn't look over the crowd. But there's something about the crowd here. Um, the word crowd is actually 
a genitive in the Greek and it has a causative meaning. So it means that the crowd is actually hindering Zacchaeus from seeing actively. So it's not just a passive barrier. The crowd is actually actively hindering Zacchaeus to come and see Jesus. But whether Zacchaeus was young or small, um, smallness should not necessarily be a problem. When you have certain status, you should be able to get to the front. When we look at the football stadium, you see the VIP boxes are usually full with little men in suits <laughs> looking at, you know. So littleness should not be a problem to see. I think Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, not necessarily because he was small, but because the crowd didn't want him to see. They kind of didn't like this guy. He was small in more ways than one. He was actually an outsider, an outcast, and not worthy of inclusion. Now, why did the people not like Zacchaeus? That's the question. Well, uh, it's actually an easy answer because Zacchaeus is member of that most despised segment of society, the tax collectors. So the tax, the tax calls him an arch-telones, and telones is tax collector. An arch, we know this word, archbishop, archetype, you know, arch. So usually this is translated as being the ruler of tax collectors, but uh, it can also be interpreted as being the archetype of a tax collector. Now, because the word, the word ruler of tax collectors like this is not really found in the Greek anywhere else. It's only found here. And I think it's quite possible what Luke is trying to say is that Zacchaeus is, an, is a tax collector. He is the arch tax collector, the archetypical tax collector. If there ever was a tax collector, it was Zacchaeus. He is the supreme sinner, the dregs of society, the bottom of the barrel. That is Zacchaeus, the arch tax collector. Now, it's not just that he is a tax collector. What's even worse, he's also rich. It says, Plusius, rich. Now, in the Roman Empire, being rich is not necessarily a bad thing, just like in our society. Um, there was such a thing as landed wealth, but Zacchaeus, he was not in that category. He was a nouveau riche. So where did Zacchaeus' wealth come from? Well, we already know this. He was a, a tax collector. Now, what was, how did this function? Actually, the, the Roman Empire functioned in a, in a system called tax farming. So the empire would farm out the taxing duties to individuals at an auction. And the individual would say, okay, I can you know, get this much taxes out of this region. They would get the contract. If they didn't get enough taxes, it was their loss. But if they get more taxes, it was pure profit. So these people were called publicans. You might have heard this name, publican. And uh, they were quite uh, savvy financially. They were actually uh, people who organized themselves in corporations already, who, who hold, uh, held joint assets, and their assets were usually slaves. So they were holding slaves that they were renting out for different public projects like aqueducts, etc. But these financial experts, the publicans, they had come under sustained criticism in the Roman Empire. Why? Because they were corrupt. They were doing a lot of fraud. They, and they uh, had also very cruel labor practices with their slaves. So by the time of Jesus, 
the reputation of publicans, of tax collectors, was really low. It had really tanked, and uh, they were very much despised by everyone. And actually, a little after the time of Jesus, the tax collectors, they disappear, and uh, the empire is starting to collect the tax more from a centralized position. So Zacchaeus had a really bad reputation because of you know, the, 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 his job also. But Zacchaeus is also very determined. If you go to the next slide, um, because Zacchaeus, it says in the text, he doesn't just want to see Jesus pass by, he wants to see who Jesus is. The text says literally who Jesus is. So he wants to see a bit more than just a famous person passing by. He really wants to find out who is this guy. And um, when we compare the meeting with Zacchaeus with the story just before, which is the blind beggar. The blind beggar couldn't come to Jesus, and he cries out very loud. Zacchaeus, he doesn't cry out, but he uses his physical capacity, and he climbs a tree. Now, I looked at the, the tree in question, and it is a sycamore fig. We have them still. It is an ornamental tree with very big branches, and as you can see, easy to climb, and usually growing next to rivers in rich soil. So it makes sense that it was in Jericho next to the Jordan River, and it makes sense that Zacchaeus would have climbed it. Although I was talking with Vanessa, I said an, an adult man climbing a tree is still a little bit strange. The other day we were at the lake and there's one of those trees that you can easily climb in. And of course my kids were immediately at the top, but me, I'm not going in a tree where all those people are. That's a bit strange. So Zacchaeus in the tree is like a UBS banker in his suit in the tree. <laughs> it's a little strange, you know? But I think what this tells us about Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus, he didn't really care about his reputation. He probably didn't have any reputation anymore. He probably could care less because the people hated him anyways. So he climbs up on the tree and he waits for Jesus. Now, as I said, when we read the passage in context, we see there were two other meetings Jesus had just before Zacchaeus. So one of them was with the blind beggar and before that with the rich ruler. Now, Zacchaeus, the beggar, like Zacchaeus, couldn't reach Jesus but the beggar is lost in poverty, and Zacchaeus is lost in wealth. And the crowd brought the beggar to Jesus, but the crowd held Zacchaeus back from Jesus. So it's actually a real contrast. And the beggar, I think for all of us, when we read the story of the blind beggar, we say, this man deserves compassion. However, Zacchaeus, not so much. We don't think Zacchaeus deserves compassion. He's kind of a crook, you know? And then before meeting the beggar, Jesus had met another rich man, the young ruler. And I don't know if you know the story, but he, finally Jesus asked him to give away all his possessions, and he doesn't. And uh, Jesus says, well, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So if we have been reading Luke from the beginning, we realize Zacchaeus is another rich man, and probably he will not be able to get into the kingdom. So when we read this, we expect Jesus to come either to ignore Zacchaeus or to give him a stern talk that it is impossible for the rich to go in the kingdom. But actually, and if you go to the next slide, uh, the next one, yes. Actually, this doesn't happen. Jesus doesn't ignore Zacchaeus 
or he doesn't, he doesn't give him a stern lecture either. He looks at Zacchaeus and tells him, come down quickly. It says there's spoisas katabeti, if you know a little bit Greek, but it means come down quickly. It's an imperative. He needs to come down quickly. And why? Because Jesus needs to stay with Zacchaeus. And that's the word day. It is necessary that. It really shows us that it is a need. Jesus has to stay with Zacchaeus. It's not just an option. There is no option. Jesus has to be there. So it's, a, it's the must. We, we translate it in English, must. He must stay there. There is an urgency. There is a divine plan that Jesus wants to stay with Zacchaeus. And this also, we can see that Jesus' life is really lived according to a divine plan. It's fascinating. It's not just like, hey, Zacchaeus, can I stay with you? No, I must stay with you. And then the Greek, they repeat these words again, come down quickly, they repeat it in the imperative, exactly the same, and it says, he hurries down, he hurries down, he comes down quickly, no questions from Zacchaeus, no excuses, not why, no, he responds in obedience, straight away, no grudging, not grudgingly, but joyfully, it says he does it with joy. Rejoicing, actually, the verb chairon is a part participle. I don't know how you say that in English, but it, it, it means rejoicing. While he's doing it, he's rejoicing. He's so happy, he's so excited. Jesus wants to stay with him. Nobody wants to stay with Zacchaeus, you know? Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Don't associate with this guy. Jesus is there, wants to stay with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus receives him with joy. The verb here means acceptance of a person with friendliness. He really accepts him with everything he has. So the kingdom of God has arrived in Zacchaeus' house, and it should be a day of joy. And of course, the crowd is very excited. If you go to the next slide, well, not quite. Actually, the crowd is very annoyed, and they grumble. They're like, we worked so hard to keep Zacchaeus away from Jesus, and now Jesus goes to this guy's house. With the beggar, in the story just before, it said, when the people, all the people, when they saw it, praised God. But in Zacchaeus' case, all the people began to grumble. Why? It's not just the Pharisees, in this case, that grumbled, or just the disciples. Everybody, it says all, all the people grumbled, no exclusion. In a way, Zacchaeus is a very democratic reject. Everybody hates him, you know? <laughs> so, not just despised by some, but by all. Now, there's a bit of crowd psychology, you know, the bigger the crowd, the more the loss of responsibility, the more antisocial a crowd becomes. If you've ever been in a crowd, uh, you know there can be some pretty bad things that actually happen in a crowd. Um, you know, I have been once in a big crowd and people start fighting during a demonstration and you're really like, why do you do that? People wouldn't usually do that when they're by themselves, but in a crowd there's no responsibility. So you can imagine how it was. Oh, Jesus is going at Zacchaeus and people are like, why with this guy? This guy's terrible. This is the worst guy of the town. Doesn't make any sense. And they get more and more upset. In a way, Jesus becomes guilty by association. I mean, how can he possibly enjoy the hospitality of this guy who swindles everyone. This guy should be ostracized, not accepted. And now we get to an interesting turn in the narrative, if you go to the next slide, and it can give us a bit of trouble. 
Um, actually, the translation you read, it, it uh, translates it well. It says, look, half of my possession I, will, I give to the poor, or I pay back four times. But many uh, translations, they interpret this actually as a future. It says, a future tense, I will give back to the poor, and I will pay back four times what I have defrauded. So in that case, and this is usually how we interpret this story, Zacchaeus repents, and he changes his life. He stops swindling, stops cheating, stops defrauding, gives restitution. That's a repentance narrative. But there is another reading that has become more popular recently, and it's because these verbs are actually in the present. And it says that Zacchaeus say, uh, says, look, I give to the poor, and I pay back when I defraud. So in a way, it's like he responds to the crowd's accusation, and he says, this is what I have been doing. And in this case, Jesus says, he too is a son of Abraham. It would become a vindication narrative. Does that make sense? It becomes like, look, actually Zacchaeus is doing all these things. So I looked a bit at the different uh, commentaries, and it seems the younger ones are usually going with the vindication narrative. Look, Zacchaeus is doing good things, and the older ones are usually saying, no, this is a repentance. Zacchaeus is changing his life. So I have to make a decision, um, and I believe that it is indeed a repentance narrative. Why? It makes more sense in the context of the story. Zacchaeus changes his life. It's not, he's not saved because he does good works. He is saved because Jesus comes to him and he responds to Jesus and changes his life. So I believe indeed that it is Zacchaeus who repents. Now Zacchaeus' restitution of the fraud four times is actually extremely generous. Usually, in the Jewish law, you had to pay one-fifth of what you had stolen extra, except when you stole like an oxen or a sheep, which was a production asset, then you had to pay more because you also had to uh, re make restitution for the loss of profit. But uh, Zacchaeus, he wants to pay back four times and give away half of his fortune, which brings us to the fascinating subject of economics and theology. <laughs> and I know this is not the subject of my preaching, and I also know in Switzerland we don't talk about money, you just have it, right? But <laughs> since I'm following a master course on economics and theology this summer, I want to just briefly mention a few things, if you allow me. And um, it's just about this book from Professor Meeks called God the Economist, and he says that actually the paradigm of property of what we own reflects the prevailing perception of God and vice versa. And what does that mean? It means how we see God influences how we see property or ownership. So, and he says also that even in our secular world, this is still at work. So, when we look in the Protestant West that I'm from, and probably most of you as well, God has been taught to be, and I just read this, God is infinite, immutable, indivisible, immortal, independent, impassable, he cannot suffer, self-sufficient, self-possessing being. This was really underlined in the Reformation. In other words, God is a radical individual who does not need anything from anyone. 
because he owns everything himself. So Meeks argues that this idea of God lies at the foundation of the idea of the Western homo economicus, which is, you know, the private, independent individual who can accumulate as many possessions as he wants. And this view makes it possible that we have a society where a private individual like Jeff Bezos is worth eight times more than the whole country of Senegal. If you want to know, Senegal, uh, Senegal has 25 billion US dollars GDP. Bezos is worth 200 billion US dollars. So this is our society today. But Meeks argues, actually, that the Trinitarian view of God, God as the Trinity, is not a radical individual. It's a community. God is community made up of different persons with different tasks who give themselves to each other and this image of a Trinitarian God will lead to the fact that relationships come before profits. In other words, property or possessions become subservient to relationships. Now, Professor Meeks is not arguing for communism. The doctrine of the Trinity affirms individually as well as community, but critiques radical individualism of our society, as well as radical communism. So we see here that Zacchaeus gave away half his possessions, not all, and of course the commandment, thou shalt not steal, gives a biblical mandate for ownership. Well, the, po the point I want to make with the little economics lecture is that Zacchaeus' meeting with Jesus changed the way he was dealing with his economic business. The concept of God changed, and Zacchaeus, the way he uh, used his money, changed as well. It's not just that he gave a little money to charity. No, his entire life, the entire way he dealt with his business, with his economics, changed. And this, we see the, the contrast with the young ruler just before, because the young ruler, by his own assessment, did everything right, but he could not part from his possessions. Zacchaeus, by the assessment of everybody in his society, did everything wrong, and yet he gave half of his possessions away. So Jesus saying, it is easier to, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Actually, this is happening here, this very thing. A rich man entering the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus, like the rich young ruler, was also a ruler, but was doing everything wrong. And yet, he comes into the kingdom. The guy who deserved it the least in our ID, actually, is the one where Jesus wants to stay. So Zacchaeus' quest to find who Jesus is actually changes who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is fully changed. Now, a few years ago, um, our family went back to Holland, and we like to go back to Holland in the holidays, you know, and visit my family. Usually a week or two, we stay with my parents, we fill up our car with all the Dutch goodies and come back here, which is much cheaper over there. And um, one day I was walking in my town, and I ran into John. <laughs> You know, I was like, you know, 20 years later, and suddenly you see this guy, and he's like, he had new glasses, and you know, he looked different. And uh, he, he was well-dressed, 
No, he looked, he looked, and his wife was there. They were together. It was an evening. So I stopped and I had a little chat with John. And uh, he shared how the, the day his wife kicked him out really made him think. And you know, he, uh, he got off the alcohol uh, and uh, he got his life together. Short, uh, long story short, what had happened is John had found Jesus and John had changed. You see, the, what this story tells us is that God's redemption is not just for those who we think deserve God's compassion, like the blind beggar. It's for everyone. It's also for the unlikable people, those with a bad reputation or no reputation at all. It's for the racist, for the misogynist, the lustful, the greedy, the cheater, the crook, the tax collector, and the prostitute. Redemption is for everyone. No one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. And indeed, sometimes it looks like the less reputation we have, the easier it is to get into the kingdom of God. And you know me, I kind of identify with Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus, I also felt like nobody really cares too much about me. I'm not really a very important person in this society. Um, but yet, um, Jesus cared for me. And maybe you can also identify with Zacchaeus. Maybe you feel excluded. You know, maybe uh, you're not welcome at the company celebration or ignored at the student society party or left alone at the family reunion. Well, there's good news. There is place at the table of the Lord. Or maybe you feel like Zacchaeus that you do not deserve Jesus' visit. Maybe you have no reputation. Maybe there were things that you did that are not right. Well, there's good news. Jesus is knocking on the door to stay with you. Or maybe, just maybe, you were part of the crowd, looking down on the politically incorrect, the intolerable, the unsavable. Surely you are better than them. Surely these people do not deserve God's compassion. Well, there's good news too. You can repent. No one is out of reach of God's saving grace. My friends, the Bible tells us the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Not for Zacchaeus, not for me, and not for you. What looks impossible for us is not impossible for God. So hurry, come down your tree, for Jesus must stay in your house today. Amen. Let me pray.